Hey, this is Stories We Can Tell, and I'm Jim McGinnis, and I am so glad you found me. Many years ago, a friend of mine gave me two cherished gifts, a book of Frost's poetry and a John Prine record. Thanks, Ferg, wherever the twain shall meet. From there to Carl Sandburg and Hemingway to Jim Harrison, Jim Lepper, and old Jimmy Buffett, my gumbo of influences may help explain what you hear. Thanks goes out to all the links in the chain. Miles to go. Miles to go. Journal entry, January 7th. Weather, 68 degrees, clear, breeze out of the north at 8. The old teacher stood out on the end of the dock waiting. It was dusk on the Indian River Lagoon, and with the humidity down, the moonrise promised to be a show. 7 p.m. A lesson I gave today is still in my head. I can see my Florida Studies class and the new batch of students filming my room. And as we move through the months, I am bound and determined to take them deeper and deeper into old Florida. This was a course I had to teach. The opportunities for social studies electives were few and far between, but this was much more than elective credit. I had skin in the game. As a Florida native, where so many people come from somewhere else, I've witnessed firsthand the lack of sense of connection among my neighbors. It's not necessary for folks to abandon the love of their roots, but for planting new roots, though they could learn to love more than one place. Hell, that's what my father had done so many years ago. For years, the old man had hated Florida, but as time passed, you couldn't get him out of it. This was a chance to help young people tie themselves to a place and reject the transient notion of Florida. 31 students filled that little room. They came from all over the educational spectrum. There were gifted kids and refugees from the International Baccalaureate Program, wide-eyed freshmen, a dyslexic surfer, and a kid who failed my history class last year because of absences. An Ecuadorian girl struggling with the language and an Asian boy fighting depression. There was a gaggle of non-curious kids who were thrown into my class because the counselors had no other place to put them. And there was, of course, a few old souls, the last vestige of Huck Finn types, who spent every spare moment fishing the lagoon or drinking beer on the Spoils Island. Who were these young men and women? Where are they going and what will they become? They are still, as Frost said, unstoried, artless, unenhanced. But such as they are, such as they shall become, I've seen it time and again. So I play the cards I'm dealt. I started today's class by asking my students if anyone knew the color of the moon when it rises out of the ocean. Orange, said a kid a halfway back. His name was Zach, a surfer-looking kid with his blonde hair tied up in a man bun. His fellow students looked at him in disbelief. Something told me that Zach wasn't known for classroom participation. Never mind all that. I took his answer and ran with it. Orange it is. I will remember your name. I'll admit that I was excited to think I might reach a kid deemed unreachable. 
as I said, there were students at every level in that class. Not just levels of ability, but levels of expectation. Raising expectation was one of the toughest battles and one of the most rewarding. I read the class an excerpt from a Pat Conroy novel describing the full moon coming up out of the ocean. Conroy could spend a page and a half describing a sunset or a moonrise. It became a spiritual event. What is a sense of place, I asked. It was a long silence. I implored them to think about their spots. After standing in front of the class for a moment with my hands in my pockets, I walked to the podium and answered my own question by reading from my notebook. A combination of characteristics that make a location unique. Your place doesn't have to be remarkable or breathtakingly beautiful. It can be a common place that gives you an uncommon feeling of contentment. The stories we tell, the maps and photos we see, the poems we recite, all serve as tools for helping us learn to appreciate a place. But a location won't give up its nature without hard usage. It takes more to anchor you to a place. I read the lips of a big kid halfway back. Poems, he whispered. Yes, poems. What's your name, I asked. Me, asked the kid, pointing to his chest. I'm Andrew. He had this comical look of naivete and incredulity. Something told me I was going to like that kid, but I couldn't show it yet. Had to keep him off balance. Nice to meet you, Andrew. Let's see what Wallace Stegner has to say about all this. A place is not a place until people have both experienced and shaped it as individuals, families, neighborhoods, and communities. It is made a place only by slow accrual, like a coral reef. Of course, that's what worried me. What type of experiences were these young people having these days? Old Florida, real Florida, was vanishing piece by piece, day by day. I'm hoping that the more you learn about this place, the more you will love it. And if you love it, you will protect it. This was a favorite lesson of mine. My Florida Studies class was getting their landmark scavenger hunt assignments today. I was still five minutes late despite the excitement. My knee's been giving me trouble lately, so I grabbed my dad's cane as I walked out of the house. I'd actually made it for the old man many years ago, but he, my dad seldom used it. There was a vanity to his sense of independence, even in his late 70s. The son, on the other hand, took to the walking stick quite easily. I'm always carrying around something while teaching, a baseball bat, cane, even a golf club, part prop, part crutch. I ambled up the stairs this morning with a quote for the door already moving through my head from the Omaha Indians. It's not that you can't know, it's that you're taught not to know. There were a few students waiting for me at the door, two soccer players wanting to store their bags in my room, another girl with a question and a donut. I greeted them warmly, 
then settled at my desk and turned on the stereo. How about some hag this morning, I asked the girls as they made their way in and out of the classroom. They smiled and looked at each other as they made their escape. Today I started loving you again, sang Merle. A love song for my country, I said as the door closed. I got over you just long enough to let my heartache mend. And today I started loving you again. The bell rang and students filed in. Most of them had their eyes glued to their phones. Principal came in on the intercom and led the saying of the Pledge of Allegiance. The students' enthusiasm was lukewarm at best. I refused to steer clear of any controversy surrounding the pledge. I asked my students to stand, although they had the option not to. In 35 years, only a few chose to sit. I'm not sh quite sure why the pledge causes such a stir. The standing, I always told my kids, is more important than the saying. Now Howard Zinn had spoken once of how nationalism had been instilled in our children by pledges and anthems, and he worried that students would become passive acceptors of the doctrine that's handed down. I understand that. But I also believe that such things could inspire a new generation, and these days they could use some inspiration. I went into my age-old spiel about the pledge being deeply personal. Years ago, Jacob Needleman had spoken of the pledge in this way, and I had taken his sentiments and run with them. By standing and placing your hand over your heart in front of the flag, by embracing your own dignity and worth, you are promising to respect yourself and hold yourself accountable. I could never tell if I ever reached them with that homily, but seldom did they challenge my request, so something must have been sinking in. Evangelical was a word once used to describe my enthusiasm, my zealous advocacy for Jefferson, Lincoln, and the American idea. But strangely enough, I could swing from a place where everything mattered to one where nearly nothing did. After taking roll, I kindly re reminded them to place their phones in the caddy at the front of the room. Be where you're at, I said cheerily, quoting a former student. In the meantime, the phone rang with a request for a student I did not have. I brushed the irony aside and went to work. My students tend to bolster my patience rather than wear it thin. As soon as they all sat down, I started into my lesson. Remember our talk about history giving us a sense of place? I asked for a definition, and a girl raised her hand and read from her notebook, a combination of characteristics that make a location unique. Thank you. One of my favorite writers thought it was more like a spirit of place, a feeling of well-being. Jim Harrison was spilling out of me at every turn. I walked down the second aisle as I spoke. We don't talk about our spots much, folks, but everybody has them. The students' eyes followed me. My lecture then took an odd turn for a Florida Studies class. I spoke of a cabin in the North Carolina mountains 
and a cobblestone walk in Savannah. But I came back to an undistinguished beach halfway to Sebastian with a narrow access trail through palmettos and sandspurs, and a neighborhood street off Melbourne Avenue lined with oaks and plain houses. There's a little place down on the water in Palm Bay that doesn't even exist anymore. Castaway Point, it was called, owned by a Kentuckian named Gary, I believe. Great jukebox. Oh, and there's a Georgiana Methodist Church up on Tropical Trail. I would sometimes drive up to hear my old friend preach. I didn't speak of my boat, which I believed to be a movable spot, or the old oak tree that stands above my grandson's grave. But hopefully the students were getting the picture. I stopped abruptly and started handing out the project assignment sheets. You need to find your way around this place. Florida Studies Scavenger Hunt. Students were required to take a photo of themselves, I believe that's called a selfie, by buildings, bridges, cemeteries, and other historical landmarks. I provided a list from which students could choose. They could either present their pictures on poster board or slideshow. Now the list was essentially the product of my memory. I had come up with 45 places off the top of my head and had barely tweaked the assignment over the past five years, aside from a couple of places that my students had suggested. The fact that several of the buildings had recently been torn down didn't warrant their removal from the assignment and only served to drive home my earlier point about the vanishing past, hell. I'll occasionally visit the site of Castaway Point, holding out hope that it would magically reappear. Of course, I'm always receptive to adventurous students who requested to include sites not found on my list. Better be good. I say only half kiddingly. I would be teaching about many of the places on the assignment sheet over the coming days. After fielding several questions from the class and announcing a due date, uh, I moved on to the second part of the project. Okay, part two, your spot. I'd like you to write a three paragraph essay on a local spot a location which gives you an uncommon feeling of contentment. More hands shot up as I stood smilingly sipping my coffee. The bell rang. Have a good day, you little mercenaries. Be where you're at. Tell and I'm Jim McGinnis wishing you fair winds.